Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello. This is Nick Augustine here with attorney Mark Scroggins of the Rule Scroggins PLLC Divorce and Family Law Firm in Dallas, serving Dallas, Denton, and Collin counties. This is the Rule Scroggins Family Law Podcast, featuring news and information in Texas divorce and family law. Today's program is titled Temporary Restraining Orders for People and Property with Mark Scroggins. Some of the topics that we will cover today include protecting children and adults from harassment, threats, and injury. We'll talk about preserving financial assets and property from damage, encumbrance, and sale. We'll discuss procedures for obtaining temporary restraining orders and injunctions. We'll talk about ex parte temporary restraining orders with no notice to the other party. And what happens when temporary orders, temporary restraining orders are violated and when the act cannot be undone. Again, I'm here with Mark Scroggins. He's a partner in the Dallas family law firm of Rule Scroggins, PLLC. Mark is board certified in family law, and he's been practicing family law for over 20 years. This is a general information program, and any opinions are just that, opinions, and are not legal advice. Nothing said on this program creates attorney-client relationships, and all rights are reserved. Let's say hello to Mark Scroggins. Hey, Nick. How are you? I am doing well, Mark. How are you today? I am good, thanks. All right. Well, let's talk about temporary restraining orders. Um, We've touched on these a little bit in the past, uh, but not gone into deeper depth. And I think what most people might know is that there may be an initial sort of standard uh, restraining order language at the beginning of a family law case, but there can be more things involved with restraining orders and it can be more complex. And um, so I look forward to uh, this discussion and enlightening a little (laughs) bit more people a little bit more on uh, what can happen. And uh, I always uh, start the conversation with the case of the safety deposit box. What's in the box? Protecting the box. What if someone's going to go enter the box? Do we go to court and have the the box sealed before the other party can get to it? So really protecting and preserving everything. Um, you know, we, we often think of you know, protecting people from direct threats of harm and things like that, but it does get more complex. So uh, let's uh, jump right in, uh, starting with our first segment of protecting children and adults from harassment, threats, and injury, because people cannot be replaced. Well, I guess it depends on who you're talking about. (laughs) uh, (laughs) You know, and some might need to be, actually. But anyway, yeah, temporary restraining orders are something that uh, they are not as common as they used to be, simply because most of the large counties uh, and many of the medium size and even some of the small have what are called standing orders, which basically encompass the traditional temporary restraining order language that was used at the beginning of, I'd say, you know, probably 
80% of the cases that I was involved in, um, now, you know, I'm typically hired on cases where, you know, people can't agree that the sky is blue. So, so that could have something to do with it. But, I mean, temporary restraining, restraining orders are basically what they're designed for. Let, let me back up for a second. A TRO is only good for 14 days, okay? It expires by operational law after, after 14 days have passed unless it has been extended for one 14-day period. But that's, that's as, as long as it's going to last. So the most you're looking at is 28 days there. And it is designed to last until you have a temporary order hearing where that temporary restraining order can be turned into a temporary injunction. Now, what's the difference? Well, not much of anything really. And what it's designed to do is preservation of uh, persons and property. And so it is, it is trying to make sure, when you were asking about, about people, what, it, what kind of language you have in a temporary restraining order or standing order, say, for example, in Dallas County and, and Collin and Denton counties, you're going to have the no harassment language, you know, that neither side is neither party is allowed to harass the other party you know that can be in person with you know dog cussing the other person or calling at unreasonable hours things of that sort you're also going to have things like neither party is alleged or is allowed to um you know remove remove a child or children from from school or daycare um you know for the purpose of uh, moving or, or things such as that. So really what these things are in place for is to try to maintain the status quo until we can get to a temporary order hearing when a judge can make a determination of what is or is not the right thing to do. So when you bring up the issue of the, um, oh, uh, the lockbox or the, uh, you know, at, at, at the bank, um, in that situation, it's basically going to tell someone you, you can add some language that is going to say that nobody can enter, you know, a safety deposit box that is owned by either party or the party jointly. Okay. Or you can ask that only one be allowed to, uh, to enter it. Typically, you know, uh, it, it's more likely that you're going to have it where uh, neither is going to, going to be able to uh, access it until time of the hearing, unless it's, um, you know, kind of an exceptional type of situation. But, but that's basically what a temporary restraining order is for. Now, there are a whole bunch of other times, though, where you might ask for what is considered extraordinary relief. So what, what exactly does that encompass? Well, that's stuff where you're getting into businesses or the most familiar situation is what is commonly referred to as a kickout order, um, seeking to remove one of the parties from, uh, from the residence, the marital residence, until the temporary order hearing when a court will make a decision of who's going to reside in that with, you know, with or without the kids and who's going to make all these, all these different payments. Um, you know, that is something that you see all the time in the case of a protective order. It is much less in a restraining order, but it does happen occasionally where you've got um, – some different allegations that give rise to concern, but maybe they don't give rise to uh, the court granting an ex parte uh, protective order. So, so there was my long-winded uh, explanation. <laughs> kind of there you go. 
Well, no, so the case, with extraordinary relief um, right. and everything that I have, well, let's, let me back up with my next question. So what would we expect if something happened giving rise to the need to go back to court because after the temporary, after let's say we get our temporary restraining order, it, it turns into language in the, the temporary order. Um, mm-hmm. If after that point we discover a need to add other protections in there, mm-hmm. do you just go back in and amend the temporary order? What's involved with that? Well, you know, all of it's going to depend upon how amicable the parties are, or at least if their respective attorneys can talk sense into them. So, uh, you know, the you've got the temper. Let, let's talk about the way the you know procedurally the way the way it runs and and how you go about doing what you were asking there. So, at the filing of the lawsuit, you're going to get the you know an ex parte TRO. At the temporary order hearing, you're going to add that language, which becomes a temporary injunction into the temporary orders. If someone violates the temporary orders, including the injunctive language, which is what the TRO was, you can file what's called a motion for enforcement. Um, with that, there are all kinds of different penalties, some of which are you know, throwing the person who is the violator in jail. So where that is most common is in a situation where you know someone hadn't paid child support or uh, they've refused access to the kids during the other party's period of possession, uh, those kinds of things. Now, where, what you asked is, how do you go about amending it? Well, if the parties agree, they can just uh, file and they can agree on amend, an amended order, have everybody sign off and ask the court to sign off. And unless there's something really, really strange in it, the court's going to sign off. Now, if the other party is not in agreement, which is much more typical, then you are going to file a motion for further temporary orders seeking to add this additional injunctive language. Now, depending on what court you are in and depending on what the specific allegations are, the court may or may not grant your motion or even, I mean, even allow you to have the motion um, because some courts look at it like you get one bite at the apple with temporary orders and, uh, you know, we're keeping those in place until, uh, until the final trial. Some others understand that, you know, hey, things change, and uh, most of them are pretty good about, you know, if somebody starts acting a little wacky, they realize that you need to do things to protect, you know, parties and property. You know, for example, I think a lot of people heard about, you know, I don't remember if it was one guy or multiple guys that, you know, was all pissed off about his wife was going to get half. So this yay who started, you know, pulled out his chainsaw and started cutting everything in half. Well, if you start hearing about that, you know, you go to the court and say, hey, he's destroying Here's everything. your half. Here's my half. <laughs> That's right. The court is going to grant that, is going to allow to have that motion. As a matter of fact, the court is going to allow you to have an emergency motion to, you know, to keep this knucklehead from doing that. Um, but those are the kind of, you know, those are the extreme types of situations. Something that might happen is um, – let's say that it all of a sudden comes up that uh, one of the parties is going to start doing some extensive traveling and it doesn't have anything to do with business. You know, well, that's a wasting of community assets uh, uh, issue and you might want to restrain them from doing that. And 
there's language in uh, in the temporary orders and within the the TRO or standing orders that typically are going to be added into the into the temporary orders, which talk about you know ordinary living expenses. Well, what's ordinary in your particular case? You know, so is it ordinary that you go to Europe three or four times a year? Well, maybe it is. You know, is the estate big enough to handle that? Maybe it is, but during a divorce action, that would be considered, as far as I'm concerned, wasting of community assets. So you, you don't want to deplete the community estate prior to you know, division. So that's a situation where you might want to go in and seek to have that type of behavior restrained. So typically it's going to be you know, an extreme example like that, or you know, all of a sudden during the uh, – you know, after the temporary orders, you, you find out that, you know, mom or dad is drinking too much around the kids or has a significant other or, you know, flavor of the week or whatever. who's spending a lot of time around the kids and it's negatively affecting them. And I say this by way of reminding people that typically or an awful lot of the time anyway in in temporary orders, you're going to have what is referred to as a morality clause, which is going to say, you know, no one that you're romantically or sexually involved with is going to spend the night when you have the kids, but it's just spending the night. It's basically, you know, 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. And certain certain courts will even allow you to have uh, additional language in there that says, you know, it's okay, but only if they leave before the kids are up. Well, that doesn't prohibit you from having this other person around the kids. And if their behavior, you know, if it's affecting the kids, you might want to go in and try to try to cut that down at least to some degree. And depending on the court, many of them are pretty, uh, pretty in tune with that and are, and are willing to make that change pretty easily. Uh, some others are not. So those are the types of things though, where you might want to amend it. So, if you're in agreement, you can just amend. Everybody signs off. The judge is going to sign off on it unless it's something really crazy. Um, otherwise, you're going to have to file a motion, you know, asking the court to, to amend, the, amend the orders. What happens when um, uh, with some of the things that we talked about just, just now with uh, situations in which you'd want to possibly amend your, your TRO? What about business interests? Let's uh, – hone in a little bit mm-hmm. uh just of an issue spotting exercise um when someone sure. is a shareholder in a business or it's a closely held business within the family um but business interests that we might not i guess might not readily be aware of a need for encompassing them in a TRO early on uh, maybe it's something that is discovered during the discovery phase so um business interests yeah, that's, uh, that is a real big um, need an awful lot of the time. And where you, where you see that is, like you mentioned, closely held businesses. Now, that can be, you know, one that is just owned by family members or it can be one where it's, you know, just a handful of people that actually own the company. And where, where I run into this a lot is, you know, it's easy if you are a, a partner in a successful business to be going through a divorce and say, well, I know I'm supposed to be taking this, you know, I'm about to get a quarter to, quarter of a million dollar uh, bonus, but you know what, I'm just not going to take that right now. And so what it, what it leads up to is that you've got retained earnings in the business. So, so there are a couple of different things that, that can be done in that when you've got, um, 
when you've got a closely held business, you're you're going to uh, you know have a business valuation expert who's going to come in and take a look at the who's going to take a look at the business, put a value on it based on you know a number of different criteria and the way that they come to that determination. But one of the things they will also look at, or I always have my folks look at, is you know do we have retained earnings in in the business that are subject to division? So or uh, so it can come in that way, and that is something that just kind of goes on the ledger sheet and is a way to, um, you know, we put it on on mom or dad's side of the ledger when you get to the, the end of the division of the marital estate. Or it can be a situation, and I've seen this plenty of times, where, you know, let's say you've had a stay-at-home mom, and so she doesn't have, you know, ready access to – uh, to funds like Dad does, who's a you know partner in a, a small to mid-sized business, or I should say, a shareholder. You know, owns owns a big chunk of it, and is really uh, controlling the cash flow. And in that type of situation, you know, you might be wanting to file a motion with the court, forcing, you know, or trying to force uh, or keep him from delaying the distribution of you know, any bonuses that are typically scheduled at that time. And that's that's more difficult because. Um, in, in that situation, you know, corporations, you know, govern themselves and the court, um, you know, unless you turn around and sue the business is, is not going to have, um, it's not going to be in a place where they can really order the business to do something. Um, so you are ordering one partner in, in a business to cause something to be done. Now that may or may not be effective. So, so that that is where that is definitely much more of a challenge, and that takes some skill, you know, going around and uh, you know weaving through <laughs> through various problems to try to make sure that well, you can absolutely. deal with the fluidity issues that your client has. I can just imagine if someone had retained earnings, and mm. you know they want to not experience, uh, they don't want to experience those earnings and have those in the in the community estate just to get they'd rather hold those off um and i can see other people in the corporation saying you know how well how will that affect my interests people who are not connected right. to the you know to the parties in the divorce so um so we're really the in the sense that a restraining order may restrain someone from acting but may also compel someone to take action um, any other limits on what we can compel people to do? And I, I just, my head spinning like things like you can't compel people into involuntary servitude, so on and so forth. What about forcing someone to stay working um, when they want, you know, can you do that? I mean, how far can we no. go with? <clears throat> no. <laughs> you can. I mean, it's a, it's a person's choice whether or not they're, you know, they're going to work. But, I mean, the hammer that the court has is and that's what you're talking about there. That comes into play into play where when you're looking at an issue, say of child support, okay, one of the things that can happen is you can make an allegation. If you're the person who is supposed to be receiving child support, okay, and you believe that uh the other side is is either intentionally unemployed or intentionally underemployed. Uh, you can make that allegation, and if you can prove that, you know, then you can establish a different rate of child support than what would, you know, than what that person would be supposed to pay pursuant to what they are, uh, where they are employed now, or 
or not employed. So, for example, you know, some guys a, um, you know, a partner in, um, you know, a, a big consulting group, you know, making a million a year, and he says, you know, damn it, I'm not going to give her a cent. I'll go work at Taco Bueno, and so he does that. You know, he quits, forfeits his, you know, forfeits his partnership interest, and goes and. Uh, starts working at Taco Bueno. Well, what I can tell you is he is not going to have his child support figured at the minimum wage that he is receiving for working at Taco Bueno. What we're going to do is put on evidence showing what he was making when he was at, um, well, any one of the big, you know, Capgemini, let's say that. He was working at Capgemini. And, uh, you know, what he was making there, so he was probably making half a million to multiple millions a year and what that partnership was and and all that and we can show whether or not he was fired or if he voluntarily you know quit retired whatever you want to uh whatever you want to call it and the court can uh order him to pay child support in a specific number that is not based on what he is making right at that moment okay so that's the hammer the court has uh the court cannot say oh no you don't you're going to work there the court doesn't have the authority to do that. Can't do that. That you know, that's a that's a U.S. constitutional issue of you can't um, you know you basically you can't force someone to do what they what they don't want to do with it if it's really kind of outside of the uh, you know criminal context of things unless unless you're really looking at criminal type of behavior you don't have the ability to compel other types so where you where you will see that. Um, well, I'll tell you what. I'll just leave it there. So, so unless right. you're unless you're really kind of getting over into uh, criminal type of behavior, the the court can't compel someone to specifically do something or specifically not to do that in general terms. Good answer. Good answer. Let's hone in a little more on emergency and ex parte uh, restraining orders. And, you know, the thing that I always, and some someone were to say to me, you know, Nick, what is an ex parte? Why would you need to do that? I always think of mm-hmm. the, you know, the, you immediately think of the case in law school that everybody learns that the, the Sierra Club uh, case where the bulldozer is fired up and ready to go and they're going to knock that tree down. And once you knock that tree down, you can't put it back in the ground and have it grow again. So, Right. Basically, uh, so, you know, talking a little bit more about ex parte, so, you know, not only in the initial stage, but when it might be appropriate to go in an emergency and ex parte basis after, you know, what we talked about, if it comes up to amend our temporary orders. Yeah, and let me let me uh, try to qualify this a little bit, because what you're talking about is a really good example, but that is really in the context of commercial litigation. So let me let me kind of explain the difference there between the how it would be used in that context and how it's used more in a family law context. In a commercial litigation sense, where you talk about an ex, ex parte TRO, it's exactly the type of situation you're talking about, okay? And then they're going to have a temporary injunction hearing that is going to be significantly longer, or, or the court's going to grant a an ex parte. And all ex parte means is that the other side isn't present to defend themselves, okay? So in a family law context, it generally, generally the uh, the only time you have an ex parte temporary restraining order issued is at the very beginning of the case because nobody else has been has been dealt with. You don't have you know the other side doesn't have a lawyer, so 
so the court is not consulting with the other party or giving them the opportunity to be heard prior to the granting of this ex parte temporary restraining order, okay? Now, an emergency temporary restraining order is a different beast where um, I might put it down as I'm, I'm, let's say I'm in the middle of a divorce case, okay, and I find out that Joe Blow went to pick up his kids and he was lit uh, the night before. So I, uh, you know, mom doesn't give him the kids, which is her right and she should not. Um, and I call the other lawyer and say, hey, I'm going to go seek a temporary restraining order on, you know, let's say this was on a Monday and I'm going to go on a Wednesday. And so I tell him I'm going to be there Wednesday morning. Here's a copy of my pleading. Here's a copy of the temporary restraining order that I'm going to ask the court to enter. You know, so there are now certain things within the Texas Rules of Civil Procedure and within the local rules of virtually every county, um, every big county anyway, that is going to require notice provisions uh, to another side uh, or to their lawyer if they are represented. So once the case is kicked off, it's a little bit of a different beast, and it's, that is that emergency-type situation where the court will grant it. But ex parte really means without consulting the other side, okay? In this situation, you have to consult the other side. You have to provide notice to the other side that this is when I'm going to present it. If you don't actually have a hearing set, you're just taking your stuff and going down to court and asking the court to do something. And most of the time, you know, if you're not, if the other party doesn't show up, uh, the court's going to try to reach them on the phone and wants to make sure that the other, the other party had time to be heard before this temporary restraining order is going to be issued. And then remember, then you're going to have a hearing within a period of 14 days. So ex parte at the beginning of the case, fairly normal. You know, if, if it does, if you have a situation that falls outside of what is in the standing orders of a particular county, an ex parte is not usual, not the norm during a case. An emergency uh, is far from being the norm, but it is something that you see more often, uh, but you better make sure that you got the facts down straight and uh, that you've got your evidence when you get to a temporary order hearing or you have cashed in your credibility for the case. So right, right. Well, it is not yeah, something to be taken lightly. Yeah, I always say with emergencies, it's like crying wolf. Uh, you know, something to right. think of because there are a lot of people who may think things are an emergency, but when you have a judge with a lot right. of other real emergencies, they don't take kindly to fake emergencies. Generally speaking, that's exactly Ma right. That's exactly Mark. Right. Let's talk a little bit with the last five or so minutes we have about what happens if someone violates that violates the order and in and, and specifically if defending uh it's one thing to you know they violated it and you know let's hear dear court slap them with everything you've got what happens when you're right. defending the person who's accused and they call you and they say i think i might have to go to jail i accidentally did this or i lost my cool what if anything can be done i mean you can't unring a bell sometimes but is there any way to mitigate the the damage uh, there can be, and it, it, you know, everything is uh, dependent on the particular circumstances of your case. Okay, so like one of the things I mentioned earlier is a person can be thrown in jail for you know for not allowing the other parent conservator to have possession and access of the child or children uh, during one of their periods of possession, right? 
Um, however, there are affirmative defenses that you have. So mom shows up drunk to pick up the kids on Friday at 6, and dad says, uh-uh, not turning the kids over. Mom's pissed off and, you know, talks to her lawyer and just tells her lawyer that, you know, I went over there to pick up the kids and he wouldn't let, let me have them. We need to go in and tell the judge, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, this lawyer, instead of calling the other party to, to the other lawyer and find out, you know, hey, what, what happened and, and hearing these allegations so he can then investigate prior to, prior to filing, um, let's say he just goes ahead and files a motion for enforcement by contempt. So he's going to file his motion for enforcement by contempt and ask that the court jail dad for not turning over the kids when he was supposed to. Well, dad has an affirmative defense of mom was drunk. Okay. So in that situation, dad's going to be just fine. And mom is going to get her butt handed to her on a platter. Okay. So in that situation, there's no problem there. There are also situations where, uh, let's say child support, you know, and let's say person's been, you know, unemployed for a period of time and just can't pay just, you know, based on what they've got in the bank, there's just no way to, to make it work. Well, that's another affirmative defense in some situations. Um, and, you know, this is uh, fairly common, um, fairly, I think fairly is the right way to say it. You know, the, these orders are not written in normal English. You know, they are written in legalese. So unless you are used to reading, you know, but for and therefore and it is ordered that and all, you know, those types of things on a daily basis, a person can get confused. You know, some, it, it's easy to get confused on the language a lot of the time in exchanges and uh, in different areas, depending on how the, how the order is written. So if somebody makes a mistake, you know, my advice is, is to always, you know, fall on, the, fall on your sword in front of the court and say, you know, this is what I thought. This is the way I read it. I apologize. I'm apparently, you know, apparently it has been, I've been informed that I was wrong. I'm willing to, you know, do whatever I can to make, you know, make this up. We can provide makeup time, um, but I apologize, you know, mea culpa kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. so it's all going to depend on the circumstances. I mean, if you, have a, if you have a justified reason for what you did that is different from just, well, I didn't agree that the court gave him or gave her this, and so I didn't do it, you know, which is not going to go over real well. But if you have a justifiable reason, you know, mom or dad was, was jacked up when they came to, to pick up the kids or, you know, they, you know, just something funky. I can't really identify. You know, mom, dad shows up, you know, like one of these with a gun on his belt, you know, acting weird. Well, you know, if mom wants to, you know, close the door and put the deadbolts on, I'm just fine with that, you know, and I will be happy to defend that in court. So there – there are a whole bunch of different situations um, that you can come up with. But the, the general rule that I always, you know, talk to my clients about is, do you understand this? You understand here's when he or she is going to pick the kids up. Here is what you are supposed to be doing with going and talking to the person who's going to be doing the custody evaluation. Here's what your financial responsibility is with child support and with, uh, with medical Here's what you have to do with temporary spousal support. Here's when these things are due, you know. So, 
making sure that you lay that out so that people understand that. And, you know, it's a situation where there's no such thing as a dumb question. You know, if as the client, you have a question as to what you are supposed to do, by all means, talk to your lawyer about it and don't let yourself get in a pickle. You know, cause it's a whole, it's a whole lot more expensive and, and time consuming to get out of one of those than just ask a question up front. So, um, you know, that goes along with read what your lawyer gives you. There is a reason that they are giving you a copy of these orders. It's so that you can learn them, you know, so that you understand what the situation is. So I guess that's kind of the best I can, I can do on that. So there, there are ways to soften the blow. There are defenses to everything um, depending on your particular facts. But if it's just a, I don't want to, you know, you're, you're going to get hammered by the court and you should Life is messy. Divorce is messy. Very. People are messy, <laughs> and the lawyers are like the sponges and the cleanup crew sometimes. But um, I'm glad that we had this discussion today. Uh, Mark, could you tell people listening where they can follow up? Um, you know, and I'm even going to say, you know, people listening who are going through divorce or other maybe young attorneys who um, may be a general practitioner and don't have too many complex family law cases. I just want to talk to somebody else about what to do from time to time. How, what's a good way for people to get in touch with you? You know, y'all can always get me uh, at the office. Our number is 214-578-0941 or email me, mark at com. All right, Mark. I appreciate your time as always, and we will be back next month with more exciting topics. Uh, between now and then, I hope that people can uh, keep a cool and level head. We know that uh, so many things can make people lose it, and especially when in a political presidential cycle, things get pretty heated with folks as well. So hopefully people can stop and you know, get, get, get out of the heat, uh, you know, have a nice glass of tea and chill out every now and then, and um, think before you violate that temporary restraining order because yeah, it might exactly. cost you. <laughs> All right, Mark. Exactly we'll talk right. to you soon. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Nate. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.